You can join the fight to defend employee-funded and association PACs by texting NABPAC to 52886. Message and data rates may apply. Welcome back to the Facts About PACs podcast. This show is brought to you by NABPAC, the National Association of Business Political Action Committees. And I'm your host, Michaela Isler, NAPAC's Executive Director. The U.S. Senate has been a hotbed of legislative activity this week, and today we're going to break down what happened and what it means going forward. Adam Belmar, the guidance we've shared for months with NAPAC members about timing of a vote on the For the People Act was accurate. 100%. And beyond the process guidance, our guest today, Andy Jones, and the whole team at Federal Street Strategies has kept all of us updated on the bouncing political ball too, Michaela. And just as a reminder, the For the People Act aims to set up automatic voter registration, expand early voting, ensure more transparency in political donations, and limit partisan drawing of congressional districts, among other provisions. And Democrats have pushed for the reforms before the 2020 election, but called them even more necessary to protect the democratic process since the beginning of the new congressional session. Right. And and the House passed its version of the bill in March. The plan needed 60 votes to advance in the Senate, and the vote this week fell along party lines in the 50-50 vote. But what that vote actually was and how the result is being spun is something that really requires more examination than the headline suggests. Agreed. And that's why we've called in our expert, Andy Jones, to help us break it all down for us. We'll get to Mr. Jones live in just a minute, but I want to note for our member listeners that the association enjoyed really great meetings this week, Michaela. Yeah, we really did. I'm, I'm never so inspired in the role of NAPAC executive director as I am when I'm with the amazing PAC managers who work so hard and offer so much insight during our programs. The power of virtual roundtables like the ones we had this week are enormous. And the mission has never been more important. And next up on the NABPAC activity list is a legal compliance webinar with Carol Laham from Wiley coming up next week. That's right, Adam. And Carol is certainly a hot ticket. So register now. And Adam, let's light this candle. The Facts About PACs podcast is produced especially for the members of the National Association of Business Political Action Committees. In every episode, we recap this week's NAPA activities, share actionable intelligence and best practices, all while connecting the PAC community. And today's episode is brought to you by Access Marketing Services. From design to podcasts, from infographics to digital, work with the team that leading PACs and government affairs programs call when they need results. Access marketing services. Thanks, Adam. And joining us now is one of our regular contributors here at the Facts About PACs podcast, Andy Jones from Federal Street Strategies. Andy, welcome back. Thanks, Michaela and Adam. It's uh, great to be back. Well, it's the perfect time to have you here, really. We've been sharing your guidance on HR 1 and S1, the Voting Rights and Government Ethics Bill, with our audience and membership all year. But just this week on Tuesday, the For the People Act finally faced a real test in the Senate. What exactly happened this week? So the week started out with Senate Democrats all trying to come together and unite on a path forward for S-1, for the For the People Act. What happened was Senator Joe Manchin announced his alternative proposal to modify the For the People Act. It was a slightly edited version of previous drafts that left some things out and included the, the, the components that Senator Manchin was comfortable with. 
This proposal was panned by some on the left, but at the same time was also supported by Stacey Abrams, by Barack Obama, and other leading Democrats. Eventually, most senators said that they'd be okay with it, and they proceeded to what's called a cloture vote in the Senate on the For the People Act. The vote failed. It needed to get to the 60 vote threshold. It only got 50. But the important point is that Senator Manchin and the rest of Senate Democratic Caucus all united to proceed forward to go to debate on the floor on the bill. It failed, so we never got to that debate. But Democrats are at least united. So going forward, they have a lot to talk about and push forward on. So, Andy, they're united, but they're not united. The substitute offering from Senator Manchin represented a would-be compromise, but certainly not one that was embraced by anywhere enough people. And getting all 50 to vote on cloture wasn't really on the bill itself. We're calling it a test vote, but it was about even just beginning debate or consideration. Is, Is that the right way to appreciate it? Yeah. And what Senator Manchin described it as is he supported moving forward and getting to the point where the Senate should start to debate the bill and go over the bill. It wasn't necessarily decided upon like what would be in the final package or how the bill would be amended or changed or altered. They never got there because they never got to 60 votes. But Senator Manchin at least agreed that they should proceed to having that debate. Andy, as mentioned earlier, the House passed its version of the bill in March. And I guess the looming question is, is this bill dead or is it now in the realm of the living dead? Senator Schumer said the Senate has, quote, several serious options for how to reconsider this issue. And and then he went on to say that he plans to explore every last one of his options. So will the For the People Act come back? And if so, when and how? It is dead, sort of. Dead in the sense that anything can truly be dead in Washington. Once any bill makes it to the floor, once it gets voted on in the House, it sometimes retains a life of its own, whether that's legislatively or just politically. I think that we'll continue to at the least see the bill be talked about by Democrats, particularly uh, going into the 2022 election cycle. You're going to hear a lot about it as different states introduce their redistricting maps. It's going to be an issue going forward, but does it impact whether the bill goes onto the Senate floor and gets passed there? I think that's more difficult. There's this looming threat out there of potentially changing the filibuster, and that is really the only real legislative path forward for the bill in its entirety. As of now, the bill can't get 60 votes, but could it get 55? Could it get 52? I don't know. I don't have any reason to think that it could, but who knows? They could also break it up and have different components of the bill travel on with other pieces of legislation. So could a redistricting reform package travel along or be attached to a omnibus appropriations bill? Maybe. Could something go on unrelated defense authorization bills later on in the year? Possibly. But that takes the cooperation of all the Democratic senators, and it would also mean that they'd have to bring along some Republicans to do that. There are options out there, but they aren't as clear or as obvious as just passing it on the Senate floor like they proposed earlier this week and failed to do. And at a certain point, too, we've got we're kind of running up against a clock here because there's pretty significant changes in how elections are run. And at some point, you need to have this in place so that the states and even at the federal level could get organized and prepared for the elections with the new changes. 
Right. And that was a major complaint from Republicans going back even to the House vote earlier this year is that election officials in the states just don't have time to process this. But at the same time, that can be modified and adjusted. You can you can change timelines, you can change deadlines, you can make this applicable for future election cycles. There's a lot of things that Congress can do. The states do have to rush to get their maps redrawn for the 2022 cycle. But if this is something that isn't able to be passed until later this year or later this session, they could always change the date and make it applicable towards future years, future election cycles. So yes, there is a deadline for the 2022 elections and to get everything on track for that. But you can you can modify the bills to adjust that. So Andy Jones, Federal Street Strategies, everybody listening to this podcast knows that optics and theater are always ingredients of the show in Washington, D.C. So I want to ask you, and this is colored a little bit by my own personal perspective. I spent almost a decade covering the White House and Capitol Hill as a journalist in D.C. I worked in a White House. How much of the process that played out this week was really about getting senators on the record and then the press conferences that followed that vote? (laughs) Maybe all of it. No one really expected any Republicans to to join in on the vote. Mitch McConnell has said that this is his number one priority to block this bill from being enacted into law. So we all knew that it wasn't going to make it all the way through. So why have the vote in the first place? The Senate Democrats wanted to demonstrate that they're united, that this is important to them, and that this is something they're going to talk about. They're going to go into states and talk about how voting rights are being taken away from their constituents and from people, and that redistricted maps may not be necessarily fair, and they may be an extra the partisan process and we need they need to reform that that they they want to have more transparency on super PACs and they want to show people who's donating to these entities and what they're spending their money on it's going to be an issue going forward and it will continue to be and they're going to keep talking about it into the future and into the next election cycle until they get reforms done Andy, infrastructure, which was moribund, some had called dead, suddenly breathed new life with a bipartisan effort. Some of this could be split up and go forward on other trains or other pieces of legislation. Right. So like it's been infrastructure week in Washington for what, like 10 years now. And it finally looks like maybe we're at like the Friday, Saturday of infrastructure week. So we're finally wrapping it up. And it looks like it's finally headed to passage with with a deal being struck with the president and Senate Republicans and Democrats. There's still a ways to go on the package, but you can see already it's becoming more complicated than initially the press conference with the president made it sound, where there's going to be infrastructure deal. But in addition to that, Speaker Pelosi says that she's not going to consider the bill until the Senate also passes a reconciliation bill, which is going to be highly partisan. So there's there's a possibility that all sorts of things could end up being included in that. And and that remains to be seen. I don't know if that necessarily would include any uh, election reforms or voting rights reforms. I know that people will want that to go through. There's a there's a number of uh, Democrats who would like all sorts of things to go through that would have to go through on a partisan basis, like immigration, voting rights, election reforms. All those things are things that do not have the support of Republicans, but there will be pressure to have them added to the reconciliation bill if it's possible and if the Senate parliamentarian would even allow it. You bring up such a good point, Andy, because I can just see there's probably still potentially a long ways to go because if the Republicans think that all the things they just work to get out of the negotiations go through reconciliation, do they stop at that point and pull back on the bill? I don't know. In some ways, there's a if the Republicans say, no, we won't allow that to go in the package, there's going to be a lot of pressure for the Democrats to say, OK, that's fine. We'll put it on the reconciliation bill that we don't need you for. And 
if Democrats continue to do that, you would expect that at some point Republicans will say, well, why are we doing this bipartisan package if you're going to get everything that you want through the reconciliation package instead? So that is sort of the tension here. And it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. So while Infrastructure Week does appear to be headed for a close, it's it's not necessarily done yet. There's still a lot of work to do and working out what these agreements will mean and how this package will pass and how the package will be able to be moved through this first the Senate and then the House if the the House is requiring a reconciliation bill that will be partisan to be included with that. So Andy, you're a lawyer, a former House legislative director. And as we kind of move away from the Senate here, what can you say about what you're seeing in D.C. right now as political life in the city begins to return to normal? Do you see in-person meetings and fundraisers starting to get back on track? It's something we're kind of starting to hear in our circles here at NAPAC. Yeah, I mean, I think along with the rest of the country, things are starting to, to open back up again and things are slowly getting back to, I don't want to say back to normal, but back to a new normal. There have been a lot more meetings and, and fundraisers going to back to being in person. They're usually, at least on the Democratic side, they seem to be with safety precautions in place. Maybe they're outside, maybe they're on a rooftop. There's been sort of a movement away from only having Zoom meetings. People want to see each other again. A lot of members of Congress have been vaccinated since January, February. They've thought of themselves as being protected from COVID for a very long time. And being fairly sociable people, they're eager to get back to seeing people and to seeing their friends and meeting with their supporters and doing these things in person again. Of course, everyone wants to be safe and everyone wants to take precautions. And the ramifications of January 6th are still weighing pretty heavily on people. And there needs to be new security precautions and measures taken in the Capitol complex. The Capitol building itself is still closed to visitors. The House and Senate office buildings are only accessible to visitors with escort of congressional or Senate staff. But it it does appear that over the summer, things are wrapping back up again. You're seeing more people out there meeting in person. You're even being offered occasionally Capitol Hill offices are saying like, yeah, do you want to meet with us in our office? Do you want to come by? We could escort you. And it depends on the situation as to whether that's an opportunity worth taking. But you're definitely seeing this re-engagement with in-person activity again, which is nice to see after 15 months of being locked in everyone's houses. A little birdie told me that Andy Jones was spotted wearing a full suit and tie this week. Uh, Can you confirm or deny? I do that every time I meet with you guys, for the most part, aside from the present moment. Um, You know, it's important to to look your best for these podcasts that are audio only. No doubt about that. I myself am wearing a tuxedo right now. And I guess the next big personal question is, is there enough money in the budget for the dry cleaning bills as we get back to in person, Andy? I can't believe dry cleaners are still open, but they seem to be operating operating normally. You would have thought this would have decimated the whole industry. So I don't know how they've been supporting themselves, but I'm glad that they have. I'm looking forward to wearing normal clothes again, but hopefully everyone's clothes still fit for for these in-person meetings when they start up again. (laughs) Hashtag hard pants. I know, I know mine are, my clothes, they're just, they're just tight, you know, from all the working out I've been doing. So it's, it. Hashtag swole. Hashtag I'm sure, game, boys. I'm sure, I'm sure that's true for everybody though, right? It's your shoulders are huge, your waists are small. Everyone's been working out so much and exercising in their free time without having to commute to work. 
Don't we all wish? Well, Andy Jones, super fun to have you from Federal Street Strategies. Thanks so much for your insights today. We'll look forward to having you back. And uh, thanks to everyone downloading and sharing the Facts About PACs podcast. Employee-funded and business trade association PACs are the most transparent and regulated form of political giving. NAPAC is dedicated to defending that record and championing the amazing PAC professionals who lead vital teams. We'll be back with another great episode next week.